Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins. Championship for Notre Dame! Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT. WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish. Sports Radio 960. WSBT, we are streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT Radio app, which you can acquire right now at the iTunes or Google Play stores. Just search 960 AM WSBT. With the app, you can listen to us live or our podcasts on demand. We also have our video feed rolling here in studio on the Twitch app. Eight minutes after five o'clock on this Monday, May the 8th of 2023. A rainy day here in the South Bend area. Let's get that out of here and back to the nice warm weather we enjoyed over the weekend. And just as the weather warms up, the NFL reminds you there's never an offseason in the National Football League. You got the draft, some rookie camps taking place, and now we have found out Thursday at 8 o'clock, it is kind of a holiday for the NFL. Thursday at 8 o'clock will be the unveiling of the NFL schedule, and there are some changes to go along with this year's schedule. I will run through the changes in kind of an historic schedule later on in the program. All right, coming up this evening, we've got two hours of Sports Beat, followed by Cubby Corner. An inside look at South Bend Cubs baseball at 7 o'clock. But before that show gets underway, we've got our hat trick of opening topics to get to coming up in just a moment. Notre Dame basketball adds a player, Chris Morrell. Well, he's on his way to Wrigley Field. And also a look at a 
Winner's division right now, the America League East. At 5.30, Luke Getze is the Bears' offensive coordinator. He spoke to the media during rookie camp action at Hallis Hall. Some of his comments about this year's offense, the wide receiving core, Justin Fields, also his thoughts on the new offensive tackle. Coming to Chicago via the University of Tennessee, Darnell Wright. We've got our Twitter question of the day up right now on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. We'll go through Friday's question with the results at around 545. And then in the 6 o'clock hour, the top five winners of the weekend is today's My Five. I want to take you through what has been a comical, chaotic, and bizarre 48 hours involving former Cubs catcher Wilson Contreras and his new team, the St. Louis Cardinals. It is such a wild and wacky story. I'll just paint the picture for you. The Cardinal fan base, whether it's deserved or not, gets labeled as the best fans in baseball. A lot of people hate that. It is what it is. But the fact that the St. Louis fan base, a majority of the fan base is backing and feels sorry for Wilson Contreras, who was the enemy for so long on the north side of Chicago. They are absolutely appalled at the way the Cardinals manager and front office has dealt with Wilson Contreras the last 48 hours that Contreras actually is the victim in the eyes of Cardinal fans and whoever would have thought that would be the case with the former Cub catcher. They have stripped him of his catching duties. It'll take some time to explain all this, but the Cardinals are off to their worst start since 1907, and basically the front office is putting a lot on the shoulders of Contreras, which is absolutely ridiculous and appalling, and I might go on a pretty good rant on my favorite team coming up. In the 6 o'clock hour, get the seven-second delay on here. I'm going to make sure I catch myself before I say something I shouldn't say because I, I don't know if I've ever been this frustrated about the actions and the words coming out of the front office in St. Louis. So I'll take a deep breath before that particular segment. We will wrap up the program with a little sizzler. It was a good week last week in our sports wagering segment as my suggestions went 13 6 and one, and now for the year, 132, 109, and three. So we're doing okay. Major League Baseball, 31 and 25. We're up $48.19 on our hypothetical $10 bets on all of those suggestions. So that is what we have coming up. Tomorrow, we'll talk the latest happenings with Notre Dame football recruiting, Blue and Gold Illustrated's Notre Dame football recruiting insider Mike Singer back at his. Tuesday, 6.05, time slot to talk Notre Dame football recruiting with you here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We begin tonight's show with our hat trick of opening topics. A hat trick in hockey means three goals. In our opening topics, it means three items to pass along to you to get tonight's program rolling. We begin with Notre Dame basketball. And Mike Shrewsbury, his phone battery is probably worn out at this point, traveling around doing recruiting. The new Notre Dame men's basketball coach trying to rebuild this fighting Irish roster. 
And slowly but surely, he is adding on pieces for this year and or the future of Notre Dame basketball. And the latest person to join the Notre Dame basketball family is someone very familiar to Coach Shrewsbury. I feel like we've said that a lot because a lot of Penn State parts are moving west to South Bend. Keba Jai. Last name is spelled N-J-I-E. The N is silent, so it is Keba Jai. A 6'10", 237-pound forward who announced on Saturday he is going to play for the Fighting Irish after one year in Happy Valley with Penn State. Jai picked the Irish over Central Florida, reportedly. Now, Jai last year with Penn State as a freshman, played 14 minutes per game, contributed a little bit on the offensive end, 3.4 points, 3.5 rebounds. He played in 37 games. Now he started 26, and he knocked down 52% of his shots from the field. That was a very good Penn State offense. They had a lot of options. I thought Jai was really good at moving without the basketball, finding a spot in a broken down defense due to Penn State's guards doing a really good job of penetrating. He was really good on some roll moves. And that's the reason why he shot 52% from the field. What I remember about him, he's not much of a guy in the post that's going to hit a turnaround shot. He doesn't do that very often. He's more of a face-up guy rolling to the basket, going downhill, accepting passes, and knocking down those point-blank shots. Not much of a three-point shooter. Only attempted five, made one, and shot 59% from the free-throw line. Now, there are some things to work on for Jai as he comes to South. But I would say more widening his offensive game comes to mind. He was really good at what he was asked to do. Is there more to his offensive arsenal a lot of fouls were called on jai this year and assist to turnover was not notre dame like he had 17 assists to 33 turnovers but again a guy that was on the accepting end of a lot of passes for some good looks around the basket now coach shrewsbury counted on jai throughout the year i mentioned he started 26 of 37 games Jai also started both of Penn State's NCAA tournament games. The first matchup was against number seven, Texas A&M, and the 10-seeded Nittany Lions roared past the Aggies 76-59. In that game, Jai started and played 17 minutes of action. He posted eight points and three rebounds. In the round of 32, started but didn't play a lot. 12 minutes of action against number two, Texas, a game that the Lions lost 71-66. Jai did not score against the Longhorns. So Keba Jai is the second transfer that Coach Shrewsbury has brought in since he was hired to replace Mike Bray. The other was a reserve guard on the Northwestern basketball team last year, Julian Roper. You look at Keba Jai and you look at the Notre Dame roster, 
it seems very likely that Keva will be in the starting lineup for Notre Dame in their first game of the year this fall. He started for Coach Shrewsbury 26 times at Penn State last year. And looking at the Notre Dame roster, I would have to imagine that Jai would start over Matt Zona. And so probably Notre Dame picked up a starting player for this year via the portal in Kebajai 6'10", 237. He doesn't look 237, kind of tall and lanky from what I remember. And again, did a good job of moving without the basketball and put himself in good positions to make shots around the basket where he shot 52% from the field. So Notre Dame adding piece by piece to their Notre Dame roster for this fall. Hat trick of opening topics number two. Well, I'd worked on this topic all day, and then at about 4.40, 20 minutes before the show started, this topic absolutely blew up because, well, the name of this topic was why are the Cubs not calling up Christopher Morrell? The Cubs have now called up Christopher Morrell from AAA Iowa, and they demoted outfielder Nelson Velasquez. But I can still talk about Chris Morrell and the Cubs roster for a moment. First off, Morrell arguably was one of the best offensive players in minor league baseball before his call-up this afternoon. At AAA Iowa, 115 at-bats, the utility man hit 330, an on-base percentage of 425, OPS is on-base percentage plus slugging percentage. Anything over 800 is really, really good. Well, he was at 1.155. That's off the chart good. You do that throughout your career, you're a first ballot Hall of Famer. At AAA Iowa in just 115 at-bats, 11 home runs for Morrell, knocked in 31, and stole four bases. Now, the Cubs kept him down in the minors at the start of the year for a couple of reasons. First off, the roster at the major league level was not going to allow him to play every day. Plus, from what I'm told, the Cubs wanted to continue to grow Morrell as a utility player, someone that can play a handful of positions for the big league club. So Morrell, with AAA Iowa this year, had 12 starts in center field. Well, he wasn't going to play center field at Wrigley Field because Cody Bellinger is off to a great offensive start for Chicago, and he's actually a very, very solid defensive player. Morrell also at Iowa got work in the corner outfield spots, but again at Wrigley Field, you got Ian Happ in left and Seiya Suzuki in right. Not playing time there. Now, Morrell, when he was a South Bend Cub years ago, he was a third baseman, and he had a cannon of an arm, and he still has that great arm. But the problem is, a guy that can play third and the middle infield, you've got Nico Horner off to a fantastic start offensively and going into the weekend and not committed an error for Chicago, doing great things at second base. You spent almost $200 million on Dansby Swanson, so... He's going to play every day. Now, personally, before the season started, I preferred Morrell over Wisdom. Hey, Wisdom hit those double-digit home runs right off the bat. 
earn more playing time, but Wisdom has started to slow down. Had seven strikeouts and only one hit late last week. And I think that recent slowdown finally gave the Cubs an opportunity to bring Morell up. Yesterday, they used Nick Madrigal at third base. When David Ross, the Cubs manager, was asked about Morell, he said, quote, he doesn't catch or pitch, so I think just to continue to let him develop and get better at baseball, and that's not just offensively, that's every area. Those moments will come when we're going to need somebody down there. And if he's swinging the bat like he is right now, he would definitely be the guy, end quote. Cubs president of baseball operations, Jed Hoyer, before it was announced Morell was coming up, said, quote, Chris is playing awesome, and he's obviously great in the clubhouse, and he's going to have a huge impact on this team. I do think he's benefiting from playing every day. When there's a path to playing a lot, I think it's no question he'll be up here. He really sparked us last year. I know he can have an impact, but we want to make sure he's coming and playing every day. Having him come and not get those at-bats and not get a chance to really participate on a regular basis, I don't think that's the right thing for him or for us, end quote. And I agree with that 100%. If he's not going to be your everyday guy, don't let him go to waste on the bench and miss opportunities to get at-bats and chances in the field. The Cubs did that. They let wisdom and his play keep him in the minors for a while, but I think we can all agree Patrick Wisdom is the poster child for an all-or-nothing hitter. He has impeccable power. He can hit the ball out of any part of the ballpark, anywhere in the country. And when he gets hot, he'll hit a bunch in a row. But he strikes out just way too much. Right now, at almost 37% of the time, the scorebook says K next to Patrick Patrick Wisdom, and that's just not going to keep you on the field. So it would appear... Christopher Morrell, acting as a utility player at AAA Iowa, comes up to the Cubs today. Not in the starting lineup against St. Louis tonight, but it sure seems like he will get his fair share of opportunities at third base. And then I would assume when someone needs a day off, maybe Morrell moves around if There's a player that has played six or seven days in a row. Morrell can leave third and help out there. I'd love to see him stick at third, but I totally understand the Cubs' thought of moving him around as a utility guy. But again, with Wisdom slowing down, he might spend a little more time at third base than initially anticipated. So it's a great day for the Cubs A guy that loves the game, always has a smile on his face. His teammates love him. I'm speaking from personal experience, being around him in South Bend and also watching Cub games on TV. You see all that every day from Christopher Morrell. And it was really cool last year going to see the Cubs and Cardinals in St. Louis and seeing all these old South Bend Cubs playing in front of my eyes, including... Christopher Morrell, just very cool to see. You're on the buses with them. 
you get to chat with them. You get to see their ups and downs. It's pretty special as just a dumb old broadcaster to be lucky enough to hang around those guys and then watch them in a major league park. It's it's different. It's really, really rewarding, to say the least. So, Christopher, go get him. I know you're going to do great, but I'm glad he's getting his chance because he did everything they ever could have asked to him at AAA Iowa this spring. And our final hat trick of opening topics for tonight. Simply, have you checked out the standings in the American League East? Now, there's a lot of of money spent in that particular division with the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Blue Jays. Now, the Orioles and the Rays don't get into that spending fund, but the Rays, as we know for a decade, extremely smart on top of things with their analytics. And the Orioles have had a lot of high draft picks, and it's starting to pay off. But as the teams start action today in the American League East, every team in the division is over 500. Now, with less games within the division, this is more likely to happen. With the new schedule where you play everybody in Major League Baseball at least one series, that's going to reduce around six or seven games against each divisional opponent so there is a good chance these five teams all could stay right around 500 or much better throughout the season now it's not going to make the yankee fans calling into the fan in chicago or in new york excuse me feel any better that the yankees are 18 and 17 but they're still in last place in the american league east they are 10 games behind tampa bay the rays are flying high at 28 and 7. Then you've got Baltimore with all those young guns coming up. They're off to a great start at 22 and 12. Toronto, an American League pennant contender. A lot of talent on that Jays team. They're in that window of winning right now. They're 21 and 14, which is pretty good in just about any other division in the AL East. The Jays are seven games out of first place on May the 8th. Then you've got the Red Sox, who might be the one team that has truly exceeded most expectations. It's been a year or two where the Red Sox are kind of overturning their roster. They let Xander Bogarts walk away. He's now a San Diego Padre. So the Red Sox are in a rebuilding situation. They played really well as of late. They're 21-15, and the Yankees have been hit hard by injuries Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, both on the injured list. The Yankees' offense is suffering, and they are just 18 and 17 on the season. They spent a lot of money on their pitching staff during the offseason. Injuries there have held them back. So, no pity parties for the Yankees, but they are 18 and 17, and in last place in a division which all five teams are above 500 on May the 8th. All those teams wish they were in the central divisions of the National League and the American League. It would be a whole lot easier to get to the postseason. That's our hat trick of opening topics for tonight's program. Halfway through the 5 o'clock hour, when we come back, let's spend a little time talking about the monsters of the Midway, the Chicago Bears holding their rookie camps over the weekend. Luke Getze in his second year as the Bears offensive coordinator. What does he think of their first-round pick, Darnell Wright? 
thoughts on the running back position, the wide receiver position, and also he was a part of the initial discussions with the front office. Do they keep Justin Fields or do they trade him, keep the number one pick, and draft a new quarterback? His thoughts on that process and more coming up as Sports Beat continues on this Monday evening brought to you by Budweiser. The King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's, the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Bethel University, Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. You can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the app store and Google play. Now back to local sports talk on sports beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. It is 5.36 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome back to Sports Beat here on WSBT Radio. Darren Pritchett with you. Ah, Chicago Bears football. Our sister station, Quality Rock 94.3 FM is your home for the monsters of the Midway here in the South Bend market. Looking forward to what could be a turnaround season for the Bears on 94.3 FM, Ryan Poles has a hold of this roster, trying to turn things around in the Windy City with this Bears football team. Bears rookie camp got started over the weekend without pads on. Got to see some of these rookies with that Bears helmet on and Bears jersey on. Luke Getze, second year Chicago Bears offensive coordinator, He was grabbed from the Green Bay Packers coaching staff when Matt Eberflus took over as head coach of the Bears. So now year two for Luke, and he has one of the more exciting prospects in all of football and quarterback Justin Fields running his offense. A lot of expectations to what Fields can do in year number three, two years under his belt, including back-to-back years in this Getze system. You look at 2021, the Bears averaged 18.3 points per game. Last year, up a little bit, not enough, really. If you want to be a playoff team, the Bears only averaged 19.2 points per game in an offensive-minded National Football League. That put the Bears 23rd in the league. So you'd love to get into the mid-20s in scoring average, and if you do that, then all of a sudden – January is going to be very busy in Chicago. So Getze was asked during the Senior Bowl by the Bears media 
about changes to the Bears' offense. Now, Getze was down in Mobile because the Bears' coaching staff, one of the coaching staffs that got to coach in that game and work out all the players and talk to them. So they got some really good intel from that experience. And Getze down there said, well, tell me who's on my roster. Then I'll tell you about changes. Well, we kind of now know who's on the Chicago Bears roster with the offensive depth chart looks like. So a follow-up question this weekend. So, Luke, what is your offense going to look like this year? What changes are you going to make? He's not ready to answer all those questions yet. But to me, a lot of it depends on the development of their quarterback who wears number one, Mr. Fields. Well, I think the you know one of the the things that I was reflecting on just you know after the the draft happened, just kind of looking at the roster that we had a year ago to where we're at. I mean, purely in the number sense and the competition that we'll have now at each position, I think that part of it will be the, the best thing that we have going forward from you know from a year ago. Um, but yeah, I think we're still so early in the process. Uh, you know, with the veteran guys, we're in the we're we're back into that part of it where we're just teaching. We're not really like installing plays. We're just teaching right now. Um, and now that we get the, this is our first opportunity around these young guys to kind of see what their movement skills are, what their capabilities are learning and stuff. So I think we're just at the beginning part of those phases. I think it's too soon to tell, but we're going to challenge these guys like we did last year with as much as possible and see what, uh, see what can stick. Hey, as a fan, you'd love to know what they're doing, but we also understand the schematic advantages by not giving anything away to the media. So didn't get a whole lot from those comments, but I still think how far Fields comes in recognizing defenses pre-snap, going through his progressions. He is so good at running the football. I wonder how many of his yards from last year rushing were because pass plays were called, he escaped the pocket, and just ran. That's not a negative. In time, you'd like for him to hang a little bit longer in the pocket, but let's also understand the offensive line surrounding Justin Fields during his two years in the NFL are not what you're looking for. It's subpar by NFL standards. So there are times he drops back and he's got to run right away. Hopefully in time, the offensive line has better personnel, better execution, and he can stay in the pocket longer. Now, you might think, heck, he's pretty good running it. Just let him run. But he has a cannon of an arm. And if he understands what defenses are trying to do to him and is able to go through these decisions quickly, go through the progressions and distribute the football, that passing running combination is going to be lethal. Look at Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. There were the same questions about Hurts in the city of brotherly love coming from Alabama slash Oklahoma. Yeah, he's a really good athlete. He runs the ball well, but can he throw it at the highest level in the NFL? And we now know the answer is yes. He played a terrific game in the Super Bowl. Didn't work out for Philadelphia. Got the huge contract from the Eagles during the offseason. If Justin Fields can make those leaps, then the Bears organization is set up for the next decade at the quarterback position. Now, you go back to once the Bears knew they had the number one pick in the NFL draft, they had a decision to make. Is Justin Fields your quarterback? Do you feel like he is a franchise 
quarterback because you have a chance to have a redo. If you don't think he's your guy, you got the number one pick, and if there's a guy you feel like has a better chance to be the franchise quarterback, you trade field, you keep the number one pick, and you pick up some assets by trading fields. So Ryan Poles, the general manager, Matt Eberflus, like Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator, had to make a decision. Poles had the final call, and they decided Justin Fields is their guy, even though Ryan Poles did not draft him. They traded down to nine. They picked up a very valuable veteran-wide receiver in D.J. Moore from Carolina, plus those other draft assets, which are going to help them in the future and help them acquire, hopefully, their starting right tackle for the next decade in the draft recently. So, Getsy was asked over the weekend, was he a part of the discussions on whether to go with Justin Fields or trade him for a different quarterback? And also took some other questions on Justin Fields and the passing attack. Here again is Luke Getze, the Bears' offensive coordinator. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't really think apples in that sense. I really don't think you say, okay, hey, here's where we have a Justin where he can go, or here's where these guys can go. I think it's just you're doing your due diligence with, with the, the draft as we do with every single position. But I think it was, it's, you know, as we evaluated Justin um, from last year, I think the, the growth from where, you know, everybody in, in – including yourselves, like how the way you viewed the guy and the way the team viewed the guy to where where he was at this time last year to where he is now, I think it just is, is light years ahead of where it was. And we feel like he has a, a, a ton more to grow going forward. So we're excited to try to get that, the, the best out of him moving forward and uh, keep working to where we think he can go. When you make the odds one that he'll grow as a passer, what do you build that argument on? What do you, we, we see the stats and it's the least production in the league last year at that position. What do you see that you argue translates with better personnel, those numbers are going up. Yeah, I think you're, you're just talking purely, you know, completions and you're talking purely yards, right? And so the yards that he ran for, a third of those came off of pass plays that were scrambles that he decided to run, which is an element that, you know, we're fortunate to have with him in, the, in, in, in that position. So, and then it goes to everything, right? Getting the team around him better and uh, us all being – together for another year and the continuity that we have and the communication that he and I have, um, you know, where we were to kind of at the beginning of the season to the end of the season, I think is, is a lot better. And so we're, we're hoping to build off of all that stuff. I think anytime you can be together with somebody um, uh, and, and keep that consistency, there's going to be growth. And he has a lot more growth ahead of him. Um, and we're, we're excited to tap into that. Yeah, I think learning to have a little more touch in his delivery on some throws is going to be something that will help Justin Fields. Last year completed 60.4% of his throws, 17 touchdown passes, 11 interceptions. Then you get to the rushing numbers. You heard Getzey there say a third of his rushing yards came from broken down passing plays. But at the end of the day, 1,143 rushing yards for Fields, 7.1 yards per carry eight rushing touchdowns. Oddly enough, he had nine fumbles last year and lost none of them. So he was responsible for 11 turnovers all on interceptions last year. His growth is going to tell you a lot about the growth of this Bears offense. And now the Bears' new backup quarterback, formerly of Carolina, is P.J. Walker, who knows D.J. Moore very, very well. 
Speaking of more, the wide receiver position looks a lot different than it did one year ago today. You looked at the Bears' wide receiving core and you wondered, does Justin Fields have a fair shot in his second year considering the lack of talent at the wide receiver position? This year, I think it looks a whole lot different, and some of that has to do with a couple of trades that Ryan Poles has made. Now, he dealt a second-round pick to Pittsburgh for former Notre Dame receiver Chase Claypool. It is to be determined if that is going to be a failed trade. Didn't do a whole lot late in the year. Let's give Chase a fair shot. Full offseason, working with Fields and the Bears offense. Let's see if Claypool can get back to the production we saw very early in his career in Pittsburgh. So your starting receivers could be Claypool, the speedy Darnell Moody, and then you've got the veteran. This is a Pro Bowl-type wide receiver in D.J. Moore. To show you where the depth is getting a little better, the backups are interesting. you got Dante Pettis. you got the guy they drafted out of Cincinnati. He's got Olympic speed. He can maybe knock the top off of a defense and going deep down the field in Tyler Scott. And then the former Notre Dame wide receiver, He's handy. Not sure he's an every-down player at wide receiver in the NFL, but he's a handy guy to have around as a depth piece, and that is Equinemius St. Brown. So, Fields seems to have some weapons to work with this year. Here is offensive coordinator Luke Getze on that wide receiver group. Yeah, no, I think that that stuff always plays itself out. It it, it does. And, and, you know, as you guys recall just last year, how many different sets of starting lineups we had to go through with that position – um, you know, hopefully we won't have to do that. But I think it all plays itself out. I think guys will find their role, and uh, it's way too soon in this process to be able to say who, who has what role. Um, I think it's a really cool opportunity for a lot of them to take a, a big chunk of it. So I'm excited to see who's ready to, who's ready to, uh, to grab our, the reins of that stuff. Well, you know, quarterback-receiver relationship, we've talked about this in here, is so important, right? I mean, I think that, you know, as, as great of a quarterback it can be or as great of a receiver can be, if there's not a relationship and a connection between the two of them, then it doesn't really matter. And so I think they're, they're in that phase right now of getting to know each other. What's cool is DJ's experiences uh, that he's had. He's had to play with a few different quarterbacks and a few different systems. Uh, so you can tell that, the, the, you know, he doesn't really get phased by the new, which is going to be really good. And then... Once those two can communicate with one another, you know, body language, uh, you know, quick communication verbally and stuff, I think all that will, will get better as we get going. And it's been fun to see those guys throw some routes on air as we, you know, we're in this phase two part of it. That's Luke Getze, the Bears offensive coordinator on the new look wide receiving core for quarterback Justin Fields. So Fields also has the luxury of feeling a little better in the pocket because it appears the Bears – Picked up a really good offensive tackle from the Tennessee Volunteers with the number 10 overall pick in the first round, Darnell Wright. I've mentioned that the game against Alabama going up against Will Anderson, Darnell Wright looked really, really good against what turned out to be the number three pick in the NFL draft, the edge rusher from Alabama. So Darnell Wright was the choice of the Bears. They had some choices. There were some other offensive tackles that were top 15 type prospects that they could have taken. They went with Darnell Wright, someone they got to work with down at the Senior Bowl. And here 
is Getsy talking about his new piece along the offensive line, Darnell Wright. I think when I, the, you know, the first offensive line meeting uh, that we had, I went into it and uh, I kind of started talking about like what it's like to be a rookie in an offensive line room and how like, um, you know, that's probably the most, the biggest uh, obstacle in any room in any building is the offensive line room as a rookie. You have more, you have more duties than, than anything. And just the way that he handled that conversation, how he has respect for, uh, you know. The position, and then the guys that he, you know, that he's trying to emulate. I think that was it was really cool to see that great start, and then on the practice field part of it. Uh, I mean, the guy just doesn't doesn't blink. I mean, just it's natural to him, and uh, you can tell this guy's made of the right stuff. What, what sets him apart in terms of skill set and things that you like that, that you can work with? Well, I just think it's it's unique for someone that big to be able to bend and be that athletic and as, as explosive as he is. I think that's just. Um, it's hard to come around guys that are that big, that long. Like the length is unbelievable, and the power is unbelievable. And then be able to have that athleticism to go with it too was was all really cool. You've got two tackles that can really move in space now. What does that do for you as an offensive coordinator? When guys on either edge? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean that's kind of the the history of uh, you know of of what I've been around in this league. I mean, having athletic offensive linemen is really valuable to what we want to do and what we want to accomplish. So I think as many of those types of guys that we can get, there's going to make us better for sure and getting to do what we want to do. Well, when the Bears play their first regular season game on Quality Rock 94.3 FM this fall, barring injury, it appears the offensive line in front of fields would be at left tackle Braxton Jones. At left guard, you've got Tevin Jenkins, the center is Cody Whitehair, Nate Davis at right guard, and the newcomer, Darnell Wright at right tackle. Finally, the running game beyond fields, David Montgomery. The Bears did not bring back. He signed a three-year deal with the Detroit Lions, who then took Jameer Gibbs, the running back from Alabama, with their first-round pick. So Montgomery's carries are going to be more limited than expected in Motown. So what about the Bears? They've got Dante Freeman. They signed him as an unrestricted free agent from the Carolina Panthers. Taking a lot of parts from Carolina this offseason. So he is a factor at running back. Another player down the line. He's not a project, but he's a guy that is still learning the craft at the running back position. It is Rashawn Johnson, the back out of Texas that the Bears took in the NFL draft. And here is Getze talking about this guy, Johnson, who's not had a lot of carries in his career, but is very promising. Just, I mean, you just talk about the right kind of guy. The makeup of that guy is, is really cool. Uh, the interviews that we've had with him prior to it and then now getting to know him here over the last day or two. Um, all the different things that he did at Texas, too, I think that's really cool. As you guys know, we like to have guys that can do as many different things as possible. Um, and so he really gives us a lot of really cool flexibility, too. So, uh He's a guy who doesn't really get phased. He can learn a lot. He, you know, he, he already just in these in this one practice, you know, proved that he's able to handle a lot. Will that room look much different, you think, this year? And with the Foreman being the number one guy in Carolina, Khalil being in line now with David gone, like, how do you envision coming together with Roshan now? Yeah, I would say the vision isn't necessarily set yet, but uh, I think it's a really cool, uh, unique opportunity with guy with a lot of guys that have a lot of experience. I think. Uh, the competition that room is going to be real, and so we're going to get to see, um, you know, the best come out of each one of those guys. And as 
it's super important for that position to have multiple guys that can do it, right? I mean, any there's not I don't know if there's any team that can rely on one guy anymore with the pounding and the length of the season and all that stuff. So I think it's awesome that we have as many guys as we do that we can we feel like we can count on. And those guys he believes he can count on. I mentioned Freeman, the unrestricted free agent signing from Carolina. Hello, Herbert comes back, and then you've got the kid from Texas, Rashawn Johnson. Bears football again this fall on Quality Rock 94.3 FM. Again, they averaged 19.2 points per game last year. How much will that go up in 2023? Based on personnel, it should make a nice jump. I don't want to go too big, but maybe they get up to 22, 23 points per game. Gives them a chance to be highly competitive in the NFC North, that might be now run by the Detroit Lions, at least on paper. 5.54 is our time. Twitter question of the day is coming up in a couple of moments as Sportsbeat continues. Brought to you by Budweiser, Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Darren Pritchett back with you on WSBT Radio. My Twitter account is 960 Sportsbeat. On that account, on Friday, I asked you this Twitter question of the day. How would you describe your interest level in Notre Dame baseball? I offered you four choices. Number one, a big fan. Number two, I'd be a bigger fan if I could listen to them on the radio. Number three, I check the scores. Or number four, I do not follow at all. Here are the results of the voting. Fourth place, getting 10% of the vote. You'd be a bigger fan if the games were on the radio. 18% said... You don't really follow Notre Dame baseball at all. Second in the voting, 25% of the vote, you are a big fan of Irish baseball. But winning the vote, getting almost half of the votes, you're a fan, but all you basically do is check the scores. So checking the scores, the winning vote at 47%. We appreciate you voting. The Irish played NC State at X Stadium over the weekend, won the first game, but only scored two runs over the next 18 innings and dropped the final two games of the series against the Wolfpack. But based on opinions, Notre Dame is safely in the NCAA tournament right now. Going into last weekend, they were projected as a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. Finals for the Irish this week. They'll get back on the X Stadium turf on Friday, a non-conference series against Akron. Here is today's question. Our Twitter question of the day once again can be found at 960 Sportsbeat. If I were to tell you that the 2023 Notre Dame football team will end the regular season with a record of 10-2. and two. You will be dot, dot, dot. Here are your three choices. Excited, because that would beat my expectations. Number two, what I expect. Choice number three, 
disappointed. 10 and 2 would be below my expectations. So again, if I were to tell you that the 2023 Irish will end the regular season with a record of 10 and 2, you will be A, excited, beat my expectations, B, what I expected, C, disappointed, below my expectations. Want to get your thoughts on year two of Marcus Freeman and the roster that he and his coaching staff have put together for 2023. And it all starts on Saturday, August the 26th in Dublin, Ireland. The Irish against the United States Naval Academy. Then you got Tennessee State coming to Notre Dame Stadium. And then the first road game, tricky at North Carolina State. Down the line, Ohio State at home, at Duke, at Louisville, USC at home, at Clemson. Intriguing games on the schedule. We look forward to you voting on my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat. We'll have the results and a brand-new question on tomorrow's program. We've reached the top of the hour, which means we have to take a break. I have to get ready for a sports update. And then on the other side of the sports update, two things we want to take care of. The top five winners of the weekend and the bizarre and chaotic last 48 hours involving the St. Louis Cardinals and their new catcher. Now not a catcher, only a DH. Well, maybe an outfielder. Oh, maybe not. It's bizarre. Wilson Contreras is no longer the Cardinal catcher. But he'll face the Cubs tonight as the DH. I'll try to explain it all coming up in a bit here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, Howard Park and Mishawaka Public Houses presents Michiana's Double Bingo Game. Get your card right now at MichianaBingo.com. The jackpot grows by $50 every day, and we're giving away tons of cash. And prizes in Michiana's virtual double bingo game presented by Howard Park and Mishawaka Public House. Two cities, two parks, one river, one public house. Get your bingo card at this website, MichianaBingo.com. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Today, simply the top five winners of the weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. Okay, this is absolutely total sarcasm. Sarcasm alert. The big winner of the weekend, my St. Louis Cardinals who won a game. Congratulations, guys. Ended an eight-game losing streak by beating the Tigers 12-6. And with that victory, they do a tremendous job of staying ahead of the Oakland A's who have the worst record in baseball at 8-27. Across the Show Me State, the Kansas City Royals are 9-26, but never fear St. Louis. Two games ahead of Kansas City at 11 and 24 more on their eventful weekend 
in our next segment as we bring in Wilson Contreras into the conversation. Four. Number four on the PGA Tour, Wyndham Clark won his first PGA Tour title, and he did it in a designated event at the Wells Fargo Championship, and he beat out a strong leaderboard on Sunday. Xander Shoffley and Clark were neck and neck heading to the backside when Clark took control of the golf tournament. Early on in the back nine, he made birdie. Shoffley made bogey, and it really set the tone for the back nine. And Clark walked away with an easy victory also, turning aside Tyrell Hatton and Masters champion from a few years back, Adam Scott. So Wyndham Clark, 80th in the world golf rankings, gets his first PGA Tour title and does it at a designated event, which means there's a little more cash that goes into his pocket with these fields being the stronger fields on the PGA Tour. Okay, okay. Uh, Number three. Well, this is not a good thing, but definitely winning is Tiger Woods' bad image away from the golf course. More was added on to that over the weekend. I don't know if you've heard this story, so just in case, let me walk you through it. Now, Tiger just had ankle surgery. He's not walking right now. He's not going to play golf for months. So that's one thing. Here's the other. Tiger is in the midst of a $30 million legal battle with his ex-girlfriend. She claims at the beginning of their relationship, while she was running his Palm Beach County restaurant, Tiger threatened to fire her if she didn't sign a non-disclosure agreement. Now, this is all her side of the story. Let me be clear. Erica Herman, she was the girlfriend that was at the Masters 2019 when he won that epic championship, and they've been together for a good amount of time. But Herman also accused Woods that he had his lawyer break up with her at an airport in October after Tiger apparently told her a lie that they were going on a weekend trip to the Bahamas. Instead, he was sending her to the airport so his lawyer could break up with her for him. The lawyer didn't stop there. He evicted her from Tiger's $54 million mansion near Palm Beach, California. Remember when Lane Kiffin got fired at an airport at USC? Well, this is getting broken up with and evicted at the airport. Erica also claims that Tiger told her she could stay in the mansion for at least 11 years. Now, why 11? I have absolutely no idea. But that's what she claims. But she was evicted after five years. So she is asking for $30 million. Why $30 million? Now, this is where I kind of jump off the ship. She's asking for $30 million because $30 million will cover the cost of her renting a property like Woods had and she lived in 
And this would be for the next six years because he promised her 11 years. She got evicted after five. So for the next six years, she wants to rent a property like Woods, like she expected. So she wants $30 million. Oh, my gosh. How about ask for five and go a little more days in? Holy cow. You know what? In the court of law, if she wins it, good for her. But that's where I kind of stop backing her side of the story. That's, I mean, if you didn't know Tiger Woods, would you be living in a mansion like that? That's a tough one. We'll see what the court of law says. So I guess it's fair to say it's another few days of Tiger being Tiger. But you ask your lawyer to break up with your girlfriend and have him a victor. <laughs> I didn't know that was a lawyer's job, but apparently in some cases it is. Number two. Another winner of the weekend. Cubs rookie first baseman Matt Mervis. The long-awaited call-up of this power-hitting first sacker on Friday. Well, he's played now in three major league games. And he left the Marlins series with a three-game hitting streak. Mervis in that 14-inning game yesterday went two for six. So there is some good and bad in the three games. He's hitting 286. That's also his on-base percentage. He has not walked. He's got a run scored, two RBI, the one negative in 14 major league at bats. He has struck out six times. The good news for Mervis, he will face a right-handed pitcher tonight in Cardinal starter, Miles Michaelis, the old Lizard King. Number one. And the number one winner of the weekend, Bill Self and the Kansas Jayhawks basketball team. Kansas with a loaded roster already added on as they picked up the number one ranked player in the transfer portal and former Michigan Wolverine seven-foot center Hunter Dickinson. From DeMatha, the same high school as former Irish head coach Mike Bray. Mike Bray worked hard on getting Dickinson to Notre Dame. He chose Michigan. Honestly, I'm not overly disappointed with that with some of the things he has done off the court, including wearing a ski mask to a game because he was going to steal the victory from the other team. But you can't deny his talents. Self has used the high-low game in his coaching career, and with Dickinson, boy, you can do that. He can hit the outside shot. He can work you down low, good footwork. Dickinson at Michigan averaged 17.2 points per game, 8.4 rebounds, and 1.6 block shots. A great day for Kansas getting Dickinson. For Michigan, Jawan Howard, is it going to work with him as the head coach? This is a big loss for that Wolverine basketball program that's had some ups and a lot of downs under Jawan Howard. The five winners of the weekend, there you go, 624 on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, during the offseason, the Chicago Cubs did not re-sign Wilson Contreras as expected. They let him go to their rivals. And you know what? The Cubs front office is probably laughing their tails off 
at what has happened over the last 48 hours as their rivals, the Cardinals, are basically using Wilson Contreras as their scapegoat for their worst start since 1907. And what makes the story even better? Cardinal Nation has the back of the guy they couldn't stand with the Cubs. I'll explain it all coming up in a couple of moments as the Cubs and Cardinals get set to play at Wrigley in about, oh, an hour and 15 minutes. 625, this is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Leading off on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That boy's good. Number nine. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. West League champion. Adios! Walk-off home run, Eloy Jimenez. Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios! Goodbye, and maybe that's a winner. Here's Darren Pritchett. 28 minutes in front of 7 o'clock. Budweiser's weekday sports beat rolls on for this Monday evening. Coming up at the top of the hour, Cubby Corner, an inside look at South Bend Cubs baseball. The Cubbies are idle today. South Bend opens up a 12-game road trip at Wisconsin coming up tomorrow night here on WSBT Radio. Well, the St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago Cubs will play their first game of the year tonight. It'll be at Wrigley Field, and it's Marcus Stroman taking on Miles Michaelis. But one of the interesting stories from the last few days that it's just perfect timing that the Cardinals are playing the Cubs tonight. And this all centers around a guy who helped the Chicago Cubs win a World Series in 2016 in Wilson Contreras, their starting catcher. Now, I think if you're a Cub fan, you'll agree with me that Contreras was a really good offensive catcher, has a tremendous arm. He can slow down running games with the power and the accuracy of that right arm. But in terms of framing pitches calling a game overall defensively, it was not a strength. And with the Chicago Cubs starting an incline, as this 2023 season got underway, the Cubs decided to go a different direction. They did not bring back their homegrown product to be their catcher. Instead, they're using some journeymen like Jan Gomes, Tucker Bernhardt's actually a really good defensive catcher. Analytically, he is as good as anybody in baseball. And as we have seen the last couple of days with Gomes on the concussion injury list, home product Miguel Amaya, very capable of handling things behind the plate. While the Cubs were deciding to move on from Contreras, their rivals down I-55, the St. Louis Cardinals, had a vacancy at the catcher position For the first time in almost 20 years, Yadier Molina, their Hall of Fame-to-be catcher, retired at the end of last season. And there just wasn't a guy in their system ready to take over right now. Andrew Kisner, the backup, is not an everyday starting catcher, which makes this story even more funny. We'll get to that in a second. They've got a kid in the minors they like in Avon Herrera who got some time at the major league level last year, but he is not ready to be an everyday starting catcher 
at this time. So St. Louis went out and gave Wilson Contreras five years, $87.5 million to be. I can't say this enough. They're starting catcher, right? Starting catcher, simply put, he's their guy. The St. Louis Cardinals allegedly did their due diligence. One of the individuals they reportedly talked to was former Cub and a guy who played for the Cardinals for a half a year, John Lester. They wanted his thoughts on Contreras. He gave them the thumbs up. What's interesting, Lester was a David Ross guy. When Lester pitched, David Ross was his catcher before Ross retired. So you're asking a guy that preferred Ross over Contreras what he thought of this guy they might sign, which, again, makes this even more comical because the Cardinals decided on Friday that Wilson Contreras was not going to catch for a while. He was not doing the things that needed to be done in order for St. Louis to have success. Yes, a St. Louis team that right now is one of the worst in baseball after their worst start since 1907. And then on Saturday, actually Sunday, they came back and said, well, he's not going to play the outfield because he started a game in left field and there was a play and it didn't go well. And so now we've changed course again. He's just going to be our designated hitter. You sign a guy for $87.5 million, and after 24 games, we've seen enough. He's going to be our designated hitter, a team that has like four designated hitters at this time. The ERA of this pitching staff is 5.04. Horrendous. And Wilson Contreras is basically the scapegoat in all this. John Mosellock, head of baseball operations to The Athletic, He's not doing any interviews with the St. Louis media for some reason. It's because all this is his fault and he doesn't want to face the tough questions, so he'll take the fluff questions from the athletic. Here's what he had to say. Mosella, quote, again, I do not feel like the starting pitching is our reason we're not having a better record right now. I think it's a collection of a lot of things. Obviously, the Cardinals were used to Molina behind the plate for close to two decades. The nuances of that position, maybe very subtle, are what a lot of our pitchers were used to. What we were seeing was a lack of confidence. Normally, you would say, why didn't you address this in spring training? But in spring training, it's so different in terms of what people are trying to work on. Pitchers are going a couple of innings. It doesn't really count. We just decided to do it head on, put it out there. Do we think we've seen Wilson catch his last game? No, but this is going to take a little time to get him to where we feel he understands the expectations of what this role is for us, end quote. Absolutely put the target on Contreras for the issues. By the way, Jordan Montgomery's their best pitcher. His ERA around three. Contreras caught him all but one of his games, and there were no issues there. So the guy that Cardinal fans despised in a Cub uniform, now Cardinal Nation is defending Contreras that he is the scapegoat unfairly, and they are hammering the front office. It's just ironic. Contreras was Darth Vader for how many years, and now he's turned into Luke Skywalker, 
putting on a Cardinal uniform because St. Louis fans are tired of the endless propaganda coming from that front office. I think the fans have finally had their moment of breaking because I said this on the show, you ask Cardinal fans around the world, they needed starting pitching during the offseason. Mosaic said, we've got six starting pitchers. They have one right now, basically, one. 5.04 ERA. The problem with this team is not Wilson Contreras. Now, I sat here, talked about it on the show, wrote about it on Twitter. The Cardinals should not have signed Wilson Contreras even before it happened. He is not good defensively. He's actually improved his framing with St. Louis. They've actually improved his technique, but he's not the catcher that they needed. They needed a defensive-minded catcher like Vasquez, who was with the Red Sox and the Astros last year. He would have been a perfect fit to take over for Molina. I don't care if my catcher hits 220. I want a guy that handles my pitching staff, can call pitches. Here's another thing. Here's what I don't get. If you're the front office and you think Contreras stinks at calling games or not executing the way you want, we have the technology that they use where the pitcher can actually call his own game rather than Contreras. Or you could have the bench call the pitches in the game. If that's what we're talking about, easily fixed. Because he's got a great arm. He can handle a running game. Teams are running on Andrew Kisner, who does not have that arm. It's just mind-numbing, the whole thing. That Cardinal fans are defending the evil guy that's now on their team. The front office will not take the blame for what is a roster that is broken. I thought they would get by this year because the NL Central was not very good. Well, I miscalculated that, but they still needed pitching didn't do it, and now here we are. Miguel Amaya is a big Wilson Contreras guy. His old teammate with the Cubs to the Chicago Sun-Times, Amaya, when asked about this situation, I don't want to talk about it, end quote. David Ross was asked about it. You're not going to replace that person, Molina. You're going to have to find your own way. There are some guys who have been there for a really long time, working with Yachty, going about things differently sometimes doesn't go smoothly. Change takes it, period, end quote. So, Wilson Contreras, by the words of the front office and the manager, they have thrown him under the bus, and it's embarrassing, and it's disgusting. Here you spent all this time thinking Contreras was your guy during the offseason, a guy who didn't go to the World Baseball Classic, who stayed in Jupiter with the Cardinal pitchers to do work with them. He gave up something important to him, to be with his new teammates, and this is the way he gets treated. This is not on Wilson Contreras. Is he good defensively? No, he is not. Would I have signed him? I said that all along, no. They signed him, but they should not put the blame on their worst start since 1907 on the former Cub, who I'm imagining will get a great ovation at Wrigley Field tonight. Sportsbeat continues in just a moment here on WSBT. 
Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 